In the name of God, creator, liberator, and sustainer of the universe. Amen. Today is the second Sunday after the Feast of the Epiphany. The Feast of the Epiphany and this season in the church year is associated with manifestation and with light. Epiphanies are given to us so that we may see, but not only see, become what we have seen. Epiphanies are given to us for the purpose of transformation, of seeing and being in this world in a different way. We've been given two other epiphanies so far this season, the Magi, the baptism of Jesus, and today the third epiphany that we're given this season is from the second chapter of John's Gospel. It's the first sign that Jesus performs in John's Gospel. John's Gospel is a Gospel that consists of seven symbolic symbols followed by seven sermons. So it is not primarily a historical document, it is a theological document. And whenever John uses the word sign, which he uses, by the way, instead of the word miracle, he, he doesn't use that word. Whenever he uses the word sign, it is always to point you to something different and deeper. Now, one of the other things that's very important to understand if you're reading John's Gospel is that almost everything that John says not only means what it says, but also means something else. For example, when Judas at the Last Supper betrays Jesus, he leaves. And John says, and Judas went out and it was night. Now John wants you to know what time of day it was, but he also wants you to know that it is a very dark hour. It is night in terms of our human history. So always you have to be looking for the different levels at which John is speaking. In the sign that we're given today, the wedding at Cana, Mary and Jesus and the newly called disciples, which probably included, by the way, Nathanael, who had been told that he would see greater things than he had seen already. Jesus, Mary, and the disciples are invited to a wedding party. Now, this wedding party in Cana of Galilee, again, Cana of Galilee, province where Jesus grew up, very poor, oppressed area. One of the real joys 
in Cana and all of Galilee during the time of Jesus was a wedding party. It was the biggest fiesta of the year. And couples spent a lot of time preparing for this. People would save up for many years so they could have their wedding party. Now their wedding party was not like what we call a wedding reception. The couples didn't go on honeymoons. They would get married and then they would go back to their very small house and then they invite the community in and this party would go on for at least a week. Big celebration. So Jesus is there, Mary's there, the disciples are there, community is there. It's a very festive time. Then Mary comes to Jesus. Now, in John's Gospel, Mary is never named. She is always referred to in a relationship with Jesus. That's because, and she only appears twice in John's Gospel, one at the very beginning of, of the Gospel and the other at the crucifixion. She, she, she plays a special role in John's Gospel. Mary is always an intercessor with Jesus. An intercessor with Jesus. And that's why she's identified this way. Mary comes to Jesus and says something really awful has happened, in fact. She says, they have run out of wine. Now, that's one of the worst things that could have happened at one of these parties. And Jesus appears to be rather harsh with Mary. He, he says to her, woman, what has that to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now the hour in John's Gospel is when Jesus will be betrayed, crucified, and also glorified. And people will be able to see who he is. Jesus is saying to her, you know, I, I, I'm not here just to work miracles to get people out of jams. Okay? I have a much larger vision. But Mary trusts that Jesus will do what needs to be done. So she says to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. And Jesus thinks about it for a moment and then he says to the servants, you see these purification jars that hold gallons of water? There's six of them here, fill them up. 120, maybe 190 gallons. So they do what he says. And then he says, have the steward taste it. And the steward, the, the, the wine taster, tastes it. And he says, oh my gosh. Most people, when they have one of these parties, they serve their best wine first. And then as the week goes on a little bit, they get to the Thunderbird wine or whatever's left over. And he said, he said, but you, you have done just the opposite. He said, you have saved the best to last. The water has been transformed into wine. And then John says something very important. He says that the steward didn't know what had happened, nor the other people, but that the servants did. The servants knew. So John is letting you know right here at the beginning of the gospel in this first sign that Jesus 
reveals himself to the poorest, they see very often before those who are a little higher up in class status see. That's the first sign in John's Gospel. Now, New Testament scholars have for many, many years studied this text, and there are various interpretations. Many of them are, in my opinion, correct, because John operates at such deep levels. Many people, for example, Ed Ramius, a great German scholar, New Testament scholar, believes strongly that this was a Eucharistic story, that John is foretelling the transformation of wine into the Eucharistic blood of Christ, that he's talking about a new transformation that's going to be taking place liturgically, and it's set in a, in a banquet, and it will be a great feast. Well, there are many other interpretations but I want this morning to point to two, which I think are critical for us, particularly at this time in our lives as a people. The first is that this sign takes place at a wedding party. Jesus, Mary, and the disciples are at this wedding party. John begins his, his, his gospel giving us a very detailed description of the incarnation. And the incarnation, among other things, is addressing that God is present in our ordinary lives, that we can look for God in the ordinary. So they are at a party, doing what ordinary people do when they celebrate, and God is made manifest. God is made manifest. You know, as a person who's been ordained for 56 years, I like to think sometimes that God is primarily made manifest like in church, or when you are attending the Eucharist. But my experience is that although that does happen, pastorally, most people who have been transformed by revelations, that revelation has occurred in their ordinary life. A person says, I was talking to my neighbor and I realized how much my neighbor cared for other people in the neighborhood. And I realized that I almost never gave any thought to the neighborhood. And I began to wonder, do I really even care about other people? And I had this overwhelming sense that God was calling me to in some way give myself for others. Or, I was driving to work. I was driving to work, the woman said, 
And I, I was feeling that no one really cared for me. And I saw this mother walking her little girl to school. And the mother had the arm around the little girl and they were smiling. And I had this overwhelming sense that as that mother loved that little girl, God loved me. And she said, I had driven by that school every day for the last 10 years. I never had that experience before. She said, it just suddenly came and I knew that I was accepted by God. Revelation often comes in the ordinary. And we are called, we are called, I believe, to look for God in our ordinary lives. We are called to look for God in all that we do, whether they are wedding parties or driving children to school. Secondly, I think it's important to heed what Mary said to the servants. She said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Do whatever he tells you to do. Now, I think that's what it means to be a disciple. And I think this sign is pointing to discipleship. We see, we see that we are loved. We see that God is calling us to care for others. We see, and then we have to listen to what Jesus is calling us to do. What is Jesus asking us to do? Today is not only the second Sunday after the Feast of the Epiphany. Today is also the Sunday in which we celebrate the birthday of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr. Dr. King was a light that broke into our world, our society. But it was a light that in many ways was not perceived, or at least not perceived leading to action. At the time of his death, I remember that polls showed that 70% of the people in the U.S. were opposed to what he was doing. Since his death, we have, in many ways, domesticated his life and his message. The day we celebrate by having Martin Luther King holiday sales at department stores. Can you imagine what this country would be like today if Martin Luther King had not lived? We are called again to take on many of the struggles that he took on. Struggles that many people thought they'd never have to fight again. We have to fight today but at least we have his light. And at least we have seen that thousands of people in this country heard his voice 
and responded. But we need to listen again. We need to listen again to that voice that said, we cannot live half slave and half free. We need to listen to that voice that says, human progress does not automatically occur. It happens when we are willing to become co-workers with God in human history. We need to hear that voice that said, what was going on in Vietnam was the same thing that was going on in the Mississippi Delta. We need to hear that voice that said, if we really want to solve world poverty, then we've got to move to a universal guaranteed income for everyone in the world. We need to listen to the light that we have been given and be thankful for that light. We need to listen again to Dr. King's voice. We need to be grateful that we were given this revelation. But we not only need to see and hear what he said, we have to become what he said. We have to become a new people. One of my analyses of Martin Luther King was that he was the greatest gift that white people could ever have been given in this society. And he himself did profound analysis of how, how white people had been suppressed economically because they in the South had to compete with slave labor. He was a great friend. He was a great light. We need to remember and see that light. And we need, again, to listen to Mary, who says to us again this day, do whatever he tells you. Let there be peace among us, and let us not be instruments of our own or anyone else's oppression. Amen.